Hello and welcome to episode 11, season 1 of Storytime for Weirdos. This one is called The Price of Utopia. Bangwat eyed the iron-gray clouds warily. He was thankful for a break from the relentless sun, but rain would be no campfire. Who can tell me why the rurals were expunged? Mr. Bergstrom's question brought Bangwat's attention back to the discussion. They were dangerous, Teresa offered. That's correct, to a point, replied Mr. Bergstrom. They controlled the federal government and were attacking the cities. But what was it that they wanted? Bungwant raised his hand. Mr. Bergstrom nodded to him. They were bigots who were jealous of the economic and cultural achievements of the cities, Bungwant said. His classmates may resent the requirement of a summer enrichment spent on history, but he enjoyed learning about the past. That may describe their motivation, but what did they want, pressed Mr. Bergstrom. A return to slavery, Jimani said. Constant war, walls, trade protections. His classmates were just blurting out reasons. Okay, okay, Mr. Bergstrom waved his hands. There were many reasons. Maybe it would help if we reverse the question. What did the cities want? A better, more equitable world, Bungwat offered. Teresa took her cue and continued. Action on climate change universal health care, and high-quality education for all citizens. Good, Mr. Bergstrom nodded, and today we're going to learn about how the rurals were expunged. I think you'd do well to think about the things we have in light of the methods you're going to learn about. He led the class down the driveway to a glass and steel building, incongruous in the flat, grassy wilderness. Bungwat had seen buffalo grazing less than a mile from here. The dorms they were staying in were built into the side of a hill and had minimal electricity and limited hot water. Inside, it was cool and well lit. A tour guide, who must have had an apartment on site, led them around a museum dedicated to the expunging of the rurals. There were videos of politicians from the time, photos of rallies, and mannequins dressed in period apparel. Bungwant had seen most of it before, and had read about how democracy had been distorted in the lead-up to the conflict. The tour ended in a large, hangar-like room filled with rows of green, four-legged robots. Each one had an arm with a clamp on top that, when resting, gave it the appearance of a dog. This is a pack of rovers that the city commissioned to expunge the rurals, the tour guide said, gliding between the robots. They are armored and their clamps have the strength of an industrial bench vise. They can run at speeds of up to 20 miles an hour and are powered by a compressed hydrogen fuel cell. Jimani raised his hand and the tour guide pointed at him. I read that the rurals were heavily armed, that many of them collected assault rifles. Didn't they fight the rovers? he asked. Yes, they did, but the armor was specifically designed to resist firearms, and they're programmed to work as a pack, so one would draw fire while the others eliminated the threat, the tour guide replied. 
The class eyed the rovers as the tour guide talked about their manufacture and deployment. When she finished, the tour ended and Mr. Bergstrom led them back to their dorms. After dinner, Bunglot was building a campfire with Teresa. What do you think about the rovers? asked Teresa. They're old, Bunglot replied. The drones that deliver our groceries are much more sophisticated. No, I mean, she said frowning, what do you think about them hunting the rurals and expunging them? I think it was necessary, I guess, he replied. I mean, the rurals were trying to destroy the cities. They hated everything about us. But they were chased down by these machines and, well, we say expunged, but they were killed. Torn apart, murdered, she said, visibly disturbed. Bungwant contemplated this in silence as he fed kindling into the campfire. He could understand that this was wrong, but it was abstract. One could say that the expunging of the rules was a type of genocide, but how could a 14-year-old from New York City really understand something that happened a generation ago? Soon, other students gathered around the campfire, and Bungwat forgot about the rovers killing the rurals. He talked and laughed and sang songs with his friends under the starry Kansas sky. The best part of the required summer history enrichment was that it happened outside the cities. Kids got to live and learn in the wilderness preserves and farmland allocations managed by the cities. Mr. Bergstrom approached the fire to call for bedtime. Just as he began speaking, there was a cry from behind him. He turned as a tour guide from the museum emerged from the darkness. They've been activated, she yelled, hysterical. A rover jumped from the darkness, knocking her to the ground. The students around the fire gave a collective gasp. Mr. Bergstrom pulled a burning log from the fire and clubbed another rover as it jumped out of the dark. Run, he bellowed at the students. Bungwat turned and ran into the dark as the night erupted into chaos. He ran over the uneven ground, his eyes adjusting slowly to the dim light of the starlight and crescent moon. He could hear his classmates stumbling through the dark and a mechanical hum that came from several directions at once. He encountered a split rail fence and climbed over it as quickly as he could, the mechanical humming rising in volume, along with a cry from a student off to the right. He kept running, his lungs starting to burn. Suddenly, Jumani emerged from the dark to his left. He grunted at him and matched his gait as they moved into the tall grass of the Kansas Plain. After what seemed an eternity, they stopped by mutual ascent on a small hill, hands on their knees, breathing heavy. The mechanical hum was gone. Do you, do you think they're still after us? Jumani asked. They're designed to hunt groups of people, Bongwant replied. I don't think they'll stop just because we ran away. There was a rustling behind them in the distance. They tensed, ready to flee, but spotted in the dim light a human figure moving through the grass. They waited as it ran toward them. It was Teresa. As she approached, Jamani asked in a hoarse whisper, Have you seen them? She stopped a few feet from the boys, gasping for breath for a few seconds. I haven't seen them at all, but I haven't heard them in a while, she whispered. They make that hum when they move, Bangwant observed quietly. The grass on all sides of them rustled, and Teresa yelped, and all three broke into a run. 
As they did, the mechanical hum started up on both sides. Teresa was the first to go down. Help! she screamed. The panic in her voice spurred on the other two. Bungwat felt a pang of sadness. He'd known Teresa since kindergarten, but the terror of being hunted by mechanical monsters stamped out any thought of heroics. Jamani stumbled and fell with a grunt. Bungwat looked back to see a rover-shaped shadow fall onto his friend. He choked back a sob and pumped his arm, sprinting through the night. A moment later, he was knocked to the ground. A metal clamp closed on his arm, accompanied by a sharp pain. The night sky spun above him, and he lost consciousness. Bangwa woke up to a light above him. He was laying on a soft padded surface, not the uneven rocky soil of the open prairie. He opened his eyes and groaned. He was in the hangar-like space in the museum. It was full of cots, each with a classmate in some state of recovery. He sat up and rubbed his face. His head was clearing, and the scrapes on his arms and legs started to register. He looked at his arm where the rover clamp had grasped him. There was a bruise and a small pinprick, as from a needle. After a short while, Mr. Bergstrom stood at one end of the room and clapped his hands. Okay, everyone, I want to talk about what just happened. I told you at the beginning of the day to keep in mind the things we have in light of the methods you are going to learn about. What you just experienced is only a taste of what happened to the rurals, he paused. The trauma was intense, and while none of us would give up the things we have, it is imperative that we realize the moral cost of those things. He stopped, and a couple hands went up. The questions were technical. How did they get back to the hangar? What knocked them out? Mr. Bergstrom replied that the rovers had carried them, and that they were modified to administer a tranquilizer. Teresa raised her hand and was called on. Her voice shook as she asked, Why? Why do this to us? You told us how the rules were expunged. What's the point of terrorizing us? Mr. Bergstrom gave her a grim smile. That's a good question, Teresa. Experience has shown that lessons about genocide and mass murder do not stick when they are just taught in a classroom. This is something that we learned from the rurals themselves. They embraced a violent political ideology, even though a similar ideology had been defeated a generation before them. The best way to illustrate to you the horrors experienced by the rurals so that you'll not repeat them is for you to experience what they did. Silence descended on the class as the lesson sunk in. I hope you've enjoyed episode 11, season 1 of Storytime for Weirdos, a monthly podcast that gets posted on the first Saturday of every month. Story time Turn all of the lights off Over every boy and every girl Story time One more for chance for feeling Some joy, laughter, or fear 
story time. You might want to listen, so put this into your ear. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome, becomes a gnome.